welcome back to the Entertainment Goes Pop podcast where all things entertainment cross over with all things pop culture. That means all topics are up for discussion, including TV, movies, music, sports, video gaming, all of it's fair game on this podcast. This week on the podcast, recap and discussion on the week that has been Big Brother Canada. It's been a crazy week in the Big Brother Canada house. The movie Lucas turns 35 this month. Some other TV discussion. Recap and thoughts on the NBA All-Star Weekend from Atlanta. And some more topics on this week's edition of the podcast. few TV things here to talk about. We have news that Supergirl Season 6, this will be the final season of Supergirl on the CW, is going to be starting on March the 30th. So that will be exciting. Oh man, it feels like forever since we've had Supergirl on TV, just the way with the pandemic, with how the CWs had to kind of reorganize, you know, with trying to figure out how to work around the pandemic and shooting the shows and then trying to figure out how to work them in as far as TV side with viewing and everything. So yeah, super pumped to see what they do for the final season. I'm really going to miss that show when it's, when it's done. Variety is reporting that there's going to be a little bit of a lost reunion here going on. Josh Holloway, of course, played Sawyer on Lost. He's going to be reuniting with J.J. Abrams, and they're going to be in a... There's a show for HBO Max. It's a drama series. It's called Duster that uh, Josh Holloway is going to be taking part in. So that's very cool. Very cool thing to have Josh Holloway working with J.J. Abrams again. Maybe we'll have a character named Freckles. Hmm. No, probably not, but, you know, you'll get the reference if you're a Lost fan. So Paramount Plus launched last week. I kind of did some digging around, just trying to see kind of what was up there. Uh, of course, the first uh, the first day I was trying to watch Real World Homecoming, and there was so much buffering. There was so much buffering. So they were definitely having some technical issues on that first launch day. Uh, watched it again today. No buffering problems. So... So they've clearly kind of worked that out. Uh, Just thought I'd mention a few things that are on there, especially if you're some old school fans like Nickelodeon from the 90s, if you're into that stuff, or even the 80s, some of this from the 80s. I just dug around and just kind of looked back and thought I'd mention some of the throwback stuff that they have on there. Clarissa explains it all. If you watched Teen Nick in the 90s, you know that show. Um, I've actually watched that lately because they have, uh, goodness, was it a Pluto channel? I can't remember what it was. I think it was a Pluto channel. Like late one night, they were running Clarissa episodes, and I probably sat and watched it for probably like two hours. (laughs) I don't know. So they have those episodes up there if you want to watch that. Uh, 80s here, Danger Mouse. Danger Mouse is up there. You have Double Dare. Uh, you have Are You Afraid of the Dark, Kenan and Kel, Hey Arnold, all that, Rocco's Modern Life, Doug, The Amanda Show's up there, Inspector Gadget, Heathcliff, New Archies. I mean, there's a lot of throwback old school stuff up there if you want to see that. Um, of course, I looked on the CBS side, and unless something's changed, and I don't understand, I would love for somebody to, under- to explain this to me. There are still no Amazing Race seasons up there beyond season 32. I just don't know what the deal is, why they do not have... Because they've got all Survivor up there, all of Big Brother up there. As far as I know, unless something's changed, they were up there last thing I knew. But I don't understand why they have pulled the plug on all the old Amazing Race seasons. Now, we have the Pluto channel. There's a Pluto channel where they uh, stream... Amazing Race seasons, some of the earlier seasons. I don't know what the decision making is there. There's got to be a reason. Some kind of there's got to be some kind of a reason that they don't have that up there. So that's kind of something I dug around on the CBS side. Um, I guess I haven't dug around much on it since. I know that first day it was like menus were taking forever to load. Talked about the buffering problems. I don't know if there's as much stuff up there as I really was kind of hoping for. 
I mean, there's a lot of stuff, but I think maybe I just kind of had more hopes up. I think, and of course, there's more stuff coming. There's going to be more like original content that's going to be coming from Paramount Plus. So there's definitely more of that coming up. NBA All-Star Weekend or NBA All-Star Day. <laughs> maybe that's the best thing to call it. Of course, I've been talking about the NBA All-Star Weekend for several weeks now as we've had the voting and all that. And we're finally to the big weekend as everything took place on Sunday night. We had the skills competition, three-point shootout, slam dunk was during halftime of the All-Star Game, and of course we had the All-Star Game. I thought it went well, you know, I mean, all things considered, you know, with uh, as far as how it looked and the production of it and it seemed like it flowed pretty well. You know, I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed the experience of watching it. Um, of course, the only things we had, we had the situation where Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons were pulled from the All-Star game, and Ben Simmons was going to be in a three-point shootout. And they had to pull them from all All-Star activities because they had contact tracing to where their barber had tested positive. So they didn't want to take that chance, and they pulled them from the All-Star festivities for contact tracing. So that was kind of, that was the only thing so far, unless something else pops up here in the next few days. It seems like that's the only major thing that they had as far as uh, problems around COVID. You know, hopefully everything else was okay. Everything was solid from there, hopefully. So... The event itself, I mean, we had the skills competition, and I tell you what, these big men in the skills competition, you would think that's a point guard event, but the, the big men, a lot of times win this event. It was like the fourth time that a big man has won it. It came down to two big guys in a final with Busevich and then Sabonis. Uh, you know, they took out a lot of talented guards, including Chris Paul, you know, to get there, so... The final ends up being Sabonis, ends up winning a three-point shootout. A lot of fun here. Uh, Mike Conley was, you know, the last-minute replacement for Ben Simmons. And in the first round, he went up and put up a big total. Steph Curry looked awesome in that first round. And not only did he look awesome in the first round, but he looked awesome in the finals as it came down to him and Conley. Conley had a big number. And it took to the very last shot for Steph Curry to beat him. Uh, Steph Curry, just incredible shooter, incredible talent. Just, just awesome all around. So let's move on to the dunk contest. I, just, I wasn't crazy about the judging in the NBA slam dunk contest. I just didn't really agree with a lot of their, a lot of their numbers that they were putting out. Of course, the... I'll mention who the judges were. It was Spud Webb, D. Brown, Josh Smith, Jason Richardson, and Dominique Wilkins. I love Dominique Wilkins. He's one of my favorite players of all time. Um, then we had in the contest, and I mentioned last week, that I wasn't familiar really with any of these three players. Obi Toppin was the only player I'd heard of. And then we had Anthony si Simons. My goodness, I can't talk. And Cassius Stanley. That was the three players for... The slam dunk contest and then we had the revelation that uh stanley that that was actually he had yet to actually do a dunk in an nba game so that was a wild stat that they threw out so i was like all right well let's let's see what happens here you know i'm always excited it's like let's see what these guys can do you know make a name for yourself in this dunk contest put on a show and go for it so there were some cool dunks simon's had a cool dunk where he put a little mini basket up above the real basket and set the basketball up there and basically to show, hey, I can grab this ball at 12 feet and then jump down and dunk it at the regular 10. So that was a cool dunk. My biggest complaint on the judging, what well, actually in the first round, there was some dunks in the first round where I thought, oh, I thought that dunk was kind of harder. Where I had the biggest issue was the the deal to where 
Anthony Simons goes up and he did an, a Tracy McGrady throwback to where he put on a Tracy McGrady jersey and he did this dunk that McGrady did in the 2000 slam dunk contest. And I mean, it was a, it was a fun dunk. It's, but even the, he did, I mean, he did it just like McGrady, but back in the day when he, when McGrady did it and even looking back on it, I always just thought eh, that was a fine dunk. It wasn't ever like, I never looked at it as like one of the greatest dunks, you know, an NBA slam dunk history or anything like that. And I mean, it was a fine dunk. It's basically like a three, it's basically like a, you know, th- toss up a lob and then you throw like a 360 two handed dunk. Is basically what it was. It's a fine dunk. It looked good. But then you've got Obi Toppin. And well, I should point out that the judges gave four tens on that and then a nine. And he got a 49 on that dunk. So Toppin comes out and he brings out his dad and then brings out Julius Randle as well to jump over both of them. He's going to jump over Julius Randle and his dad. And his dad was a big, big dunker too. They rolled footage of him. And so when he jumps over both of those guys, he pulls the ball way back and just extends his arm and dunks over both of them. And the judges gave him a 46. (laughs) I was like, what? A 46? And I just thought that McGrady dunk, just there just wasn't a lot of difficulty to that. It's like, you know, compared to this, I thought the Toppin dunk was way harder than the Simons dunk. So from there, I mean, we get to the finals. And so we've got the Dwayne Wade rule in effect here to where <laughs> that the slam dunk was such a mess last week, last week, last year with how it ended up. Oh, it was such a mess and so much controversy. There was so much controversy over how that ended last year to where they changed the rule this year to where in the finals, there's no numbers. There's no judging numbers. You just pick a name. Uh, each, each dunker does one dunk and then you select the name of who you thought had the better dunk. There's no like, okay, here's all these ties. Here's this tie and that tie, which is what happened last year where they just kept awarding 50s over and over and over and it got out of control. So it comes down to Simons and Toppin. And Toppin goes up first. He does like a between-the-legs dunk from just inside the free-throw line. He comes in, you know, running from half-court and jumps just inside the free-throw line, does a... Does a between the legs dunk, just just your basic between the legs dunk. And don't you love that like we're to the point now where between the legs it's just like, eh, you know, it's just a basic dunk now. Think back to 1994 when Isaiah Ryder went between the legs the first time with a dunk and just just blew all of our minds. We're like, oh my goodness, I've never seen anything like that. And then eventually, you know, it just evolved and evolved to where like Kobe, you know, put put a different spin on it in the dunk contests, you know, in 97. And then, you know, and then Vince Carter in 2000 did the between the legs off the bounce. And so, I mean, we've just watched the between the legs just evolve to where now it's just insanity what players can do dunking between the legs now. So even this, when Toppin went up, I was just like, well, that's just kind of your basic uh, between-the-legs dunk. But then Simons went up, and I get what he was trying to do, to where he just he went up and just kind of did a basic dunk. You know, he just went up one-handed, but then he, like, blew a kiss at the up at the rim. And they're like, oh, well, he, did he kiss the rim? You know, maybe he kissed the rim. Let's watch the replay. And you can see when he goes up, he does throw the ball down. It's It really was mostly a dunk to just show how high up he can jump. But there wasn't any kind of a fancy dunk on it or anything. He just goes up one hand, throws it down, and then he does, he does you know, try to kiss the rim. He didn't actually kiss the rim, but he kind of does the kiss motion toward the rim. And, you know, with the, both of those dunks, I just thought, eh, 
you know, I wasn't really crazy about either one of the dunks. And but between the two, I like Toppins better because I just I didn't see anything out of the last one. Now, if he'd have kissed the rim, maybe it would have been a little different. Of course, that's pretty dangerous too. But I don't know. It just it didn't didn't work for me. I just thought Toppin was the better of the two. I mean, they both put on a show. It was a lot of fun to watch. But I don't know. I was just not crazy about some of the judging. I was looking around at some on Twitter, like anybody else kind of iffy on this judging that's going on. I noticed some of the Bulls, uh, Bulls people that I follow were kind of, kind of taking the judges to task on some of the numbers too. So as far as the All Star game, you know, it was, it was a fun All Star game. Of course, we had the fourth quarter to where uh, you know they try to get it competitive. Not as much drama as there was last year, you know, last year was just incredible, the drama to where they were trying to get to that final score, and Team LeBron was just so far ahead here to where there just wasn't any fourth quarter drama, and I just, I figured Team LeBron was going to win, because I looked at that lineup that he drafted, and I'm like, good grief, (laughs) that is a loaded lineup, it's like, this team should never lose, so... And then Damian Lillard just goes nuts. It was Dame time in the last the last minute of the game where he just started pulling up and hitting threes, including the game winner that sealed it, where he just stepped over the half court line and launched it. And that's not that's not a luck thing, people. That's something Damian Lillard does often. He can he can hit from out there pretty frequently. So he he's a shooter. He he's awesome. It was Dame time as he finished that off. Giannis was the MVP, 16 of 16 from the field, 35 points. He did not miss a shot through the whole game. He was 16 of 16. He takes the MVP. So that was NBA All-Star Weekend for 2021 in a very, very odd environment, you know, as we continue to uh, work sports around the pandemic, you know, so... The NBA did what they could do down there in Atlanta, made a fun night of it with uh, fitting all the weekend's activities into one night, into a few hours. So, uh, enjoyable watch Sunday night. One of my favorite movies turns 35 this month, which is crazy to me that that movie is turning 35. I'm talking about Lucas the movie that premiered in 1986. This was one of uh, one of the big high school movies from that era. Uh, premiered March 28, 1986, grossed $8.2 million in the United States. Uh, just crazy that this movie is 35. Actually, this movie, I didn't actually see this movie until the 90s. I watched it on... HBO one day I was flipping channels you know seeing what was on and I landed on that movie and got hooked into it right away so you know premiered in 86 and I didn't see it till you know into the 90s probably mid 90s is maybe 94-ish probably around in there is I think maybe when I saw it so I mean there's quite the talent pool in this movie and the amazing thing is the talent pool is full, but this is a talent pool in a lot of their first movies. If it wasn't their first movie, it was like their second or third, or it was like one of their biggest, or it was their biggest movie to date. You know, that's that's what's wild. You know, you've got Corey Haim, Charlie Sheen, Carrie Green, Courtney Thorne Smith, Winona Ryder. So Corey Haim, this was before Lost Boys. Carrie Green was coming off of Goonies, and this was actually like her third movie release. So she had had a big hit coming off of Goonies. Charlie Sheen, this was a big movie year for him in 1986, and not long after this was when Ferris Bueller came out. Of course, he had a little role in that, and he was in Platoon. This was Winona Ryder's first movie. That's crazy. I actually had to look that up, because I said, you know, how... How uh, new was Winona Ryder here? And then I looked it up and realized that that was her first movie. So if you're unfamiliar with the storyline of this movie, uh, Corey Haim, 
he basically plays like an unpopular outcast kid in school. And Carrie Green plays Maggie. It's a girl that moves into, she's new in the school district. And he ends up befriending her. Or they end up befriending each other, you know. And, of course, he ends up falling in love with her. And so it's basically like a movie where you're seeing like the unpopular versus popular to where you've got, you know, the football team and the popular kids that just treat, treat Lucas awful. Lucas is played by Corey Haim. And then, uh, but he's got, he's got an in-between, which is uh, Charlie Sheen's character who befriends Lucas. And the reason that he befriends him is because Lucas at one point had helped him and since and really had no reason to do so and that he had always just stuck with Lucas ever since then and just always kind of had his back, you know, as as a thank you for having his. So anytime the football players would try to try to roughhouse, you know, you had the one football player who was just a jerk <laughs> that was on the team. And just picked on Lucas constantly, and he wouldn't he wouldn't put up with it, you know. And that he was just really cool. And I mean, you've basically got, you know, Maggie dancing that balance to where, you know, Lucas Lucas wants to keep her over here with him, but she's sliding over to where she's looking at becoming a cheerleader, and you know, she starts to hang out with you know, the football players, you know, and stuff like that. So it's, it's really an awesome movie. It's one, of, it's one of the better high school movies. For me, it's one of the best. I've always loved this movie since the first time I saw it. The cast is just so strong in this, especially when it's really just such a who's who of, of people. You know, well, I forgot to mention Courtney Thorne Smith. I mentioned her name, but I didn't mention uh, you know, like her career, she went on to Melrose Place, of course, after that, and had a lot of roles in movies and TV shows after that. So, and this was one of her first roles. I think it was like her third movie is what I looked up. It's either her second or third. I don't remember which it was. But you just look at this talent pool that's in this movie, and they're just all so young here and so fresh into the movie genre here. So, just very amazing. And let's not forget that this is the movie that introduced the slow clap. <laughs> if you've seen this movie, you know what I'm talking about. You know the slow clap, and it's it's awesome. It's an awesome moment. If you've never seen Lucas, uh, I don't know I don't know where it is. I don't know if it's uh, streaming anywhere or not. It's a really fun movie. But yeah, it turns 35 this month on March the 28th. So I saw that earlier this week that Lucas was 35. So I definitely wanted to mention that anniversary as that is definitely one of my favorite movies of all time. On this week's episode of the Beverly Hills 90210 show podcast, I had Tori Spelling as, as the guest and it was a lot of fun having her on there with producers, writers, just good stuff on there. And uh, she got teary several times uh, talking of her memories on the show and just the just the very sweet compliments that were coming from, you know, the rest on the podcast. And uh, they actually brought on uh, Matthew Lawrence that played... Uh, Mel Silver, which was David Silver's dad on there. And he he came on there and as a surprise and he was joking with Tori and said, Do you know how many people come up to me on the street and complain at me and said, You're the one that you're the one that got them drunk that night on prom and almost cost Donna Martin to not graduate high school and everything. So you know how much heat I get over that still? And uh, it was it was very funny, and just uh, he he actually told a story about Tori Spelling that was just very sweet. I'd never heard it. That said, I can't remember every detail, but there was a girl that was on set that day. She was 15 years old. She was from another country. I thought he said she was from Scotland. I'm not sure if that's right or not. Anyway, she was an international fan, complete obsessed with 90210, and that she was there that day. 
and that she met Tori in like the makeup trailer or whatever, and that Tori uh, grabbed her by the hand and said, hey, do you want to go meet everybody? And she took this girl around the set, had her introduced her to everybody, took her to the peach pit, had her take pictures in the peach pit. And Matthew just said that this girl just had the absolute day of her life on this set and just really complimented Tori on just how she just went out of her way to just, you know, just randomly just wanted to do something really great for this fan. And of course, Tori was getting choked up talking about it. But she just talked about a lot of fun stuff and they played clips from uh, like Kathleen Robertson when she was on there. And of course, I talked about on a previous podcast, I talked about when Kathleen was on there and she mentioned how Tori was just like her best friend on the show. And, you know, Tori backed that up and said the same thing that Kathleen was just her best friend on there. And of course she jokes saying, you know, Jenny Garth is like, is like her, her wife, <laughs> you know, like her life wife. And, uh, but she said that beyond Jenny, that uh, Kathleen and her just hit it right off the bat and became such good friends on there. And some fun things that came out of there, they asked Tori, if it wasn't for David, who would you have wanted Donna to end up with? And she picked Joe Bradley, which I thought was very great because Tori compared it to that Joe, like things just didn't work out with them just for whatever reason. It wasn't anything that Joe ever did. It's like he was just the complete nicest guy in the world and it just didn't work out between them. And she said it was like your typical like nice guy story to where later in life you're just like, now why in the world did I not let that work out with the nice with the nice guy or the nice girl or whatever, you know, whatever the situation is. Like, why couldn't that have worked out? You know, just that X that you think about. And she said that that was like the best X of Donna's. And because there just wasn't anything wrong with him. It just didn't work out. And they talked about one thing with uh, Jamie Walters. Of course, you know, of course he played Ray Pruitt. And, you know, there's the stories out there that you know, Jamie Walters came out of the Heights, out of that show, and he was working, you know, a music career, and they had, you know, the Heights had that album out there, and Jamie Walters was working on a music career at the time, and he got so much heat off of this character that he played on 90210 that it really messed up his music career, because fans hated him so badly because of this character, and Tori talked about that, that he was just the nicest guy, you know, that they just got along so great. And that um, she said one regret that she always had of that show was that, you know, there was the moment to where uh, Ray shoved Donna down the steps and hurt her, you know, because he, he was abusive. He was verbally abusive and physically abusive at times, too. And, you know, and she said that once that moment happened, you know, with him shoving her down the stairs, that it completely sent that character a different direction. Because she said that he was, you know, Jamie Walters was just so likable. And that she thought that that character could have been more. And that it could have been a character that they could have used down the line and kept going. And he could have been a consistent player or consistent uh, character in the show going on down the line. But once that moment happened, it was kind of like a point of no return to where, you know, this is what that character was kind of defined as from there. And she talked about, you know, when she brought him on the BH90210 uh, reboot that they did a couple years ago that, you know, she pitched that to him, wanting him to come back for that as kind of a closure and something fun to do. And that he, she really had to work on him to get him to come back, but just how excited that she was that he did come back. But yeah, I mean, Jamie Walters really, really struggled. And she tells a story that 
he would tell her that women would come up and scream at him in person and that people would hit him uh, because of this character and just how different things were in that era that, you know, people got so involved in shows. Because I guess it's a little different now in the social media age, maybe, to where people, I don't know, it's just, I guess it's just different because you see more of like the actors now because of their social medias and stuff like that. And at the time, they didn't have that. All you had was like, you know, teen magazines and whatever else. But he he told Tori stories of that people would come up and get violent with him over this character that he's playing on TV that has, that's not actually like him in real life, you know? It's just, it was just crazy. So, I mean, that's something that really affected you know, his, uh, his career, you know, and just pretty well shut down his music career. And one thing that I did like that they talked about at the end was something that I've discussed. And then I talked about how Jenny Garth and Tori Spelling have talked about this on their podcast. And it is the music changes on this show. And, uh, Charles Rosen talked about on this, he said that uh, they both said that they, you know, that they were wanting to discuss the music changes, saying that this isn't the show that we made. That's what Charles said, and Tori said the same thing. This isn't our show. This isn't the show we made. Because without, without that music in them, it's like it's a completely different show because there were so many songs that fit with the times, fit with the scenes. They mentioned, you know, they mentioned Losing My Religion that was always pictured as the Dylan and Brenda song, you know, and that anytime you hear that song, you know, they talked about how it just takes them right back to that set that they were on, you know, and uh, Charles talked about that he's, He's been working on this for a while, trying to figure out what they can do to get this situation fixed to where they can get the show back the way that it was and how they produced it to be. And that uh, Tori talked about how, you know, the music was such a huge part. And, uh, you know, Charles said that he was wanting to talk to Tori about this and that they could work together to try to figure out what they can do to get this music situation resolved and get this back. So, yeah, there was a lot of good stuff on this. It was it was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, of course, I listened to the 9021 OMG podcast that has Tori Spelling and Jenny Garth. And that's a lot of fun. I'm a few episodes behind. I'm probably about five or six episodes behind. I'm working my way trying to uh, get caught up. The episode I'm on right now, they have Gabrielle Carteris on there and interviewed her. And, of course, Andrea Zuckerman. And they've got a lot of good stories, and I'm really enjoying that. I'm about halfway through that episode of that podcast. So, yeah, just uh, some a little bit of a recap of some of the 90210 dealings this week. I really hope maybe they can figure something out. And I, and, but I love that it's those are two people that you feel like could get something done. I mean, when you've got like the show, like the show producers, you know, and then you've got Tori Spelling, you know, who's, you know, the daughter of Aaron Spelling. So she's got, and it was a Spelling production, you know, so maybe she can get involved in him too to where they can work together and maybe get something solved, to where they can figure this out, to where we can get these episodes back the, the way that we saw them, the way that we loved them growing up, you know, because it's hard, because I will be watching these shows, the ones like on Pluto, yeah, I'll watch, I've, I've talked about this, I flip over to the Pluto channel occasionally on the 90210 channel on there and Melrose Place, they rotate them. And I'll just see what's on there. But there's so many times I'll be watching an episode on there and I'll say, oh, and I know the song that's missing. 
I can pick out the song that's missing and I'll say, oh, wow, that really hits different without that song in there. So it's a problem, you know, it's a problem. And what I loved hearing is that it's something that they're very passionate about. So you can tell that they want to get something fixed. So I love that. I love to hear that Charles, they, he said, I've already been on this and I'm working on it. I'm trying to figure this out. And I would love for you, Tori, to get involved too and try to work with me on this and maybe we can get something done. And of course she was all in. So all of us fans that, you know, want these episodes back, you know, hang in there. Maybe, Maybe they can get something done, cheer them on, root them on, you know, that maybe something can get done with it. But yeah, some fun 90210 stuff this week on the Beverly Hills 90210 show podcast. Of course, you can check that out where wherever you get all your podcasts. We are one week into Big Brother Canada. It has been a crazy week in the Big Brother Canada house with a lot of happenings going on. I have to say, I am I'm not a live feeder for Big Brother Canada. I rarely watch the, the live feeds of Big Brother Canada just because it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of a, a lot of hoops you have to jump through. Especially, I like to watch the live feeds on my TV and it's just not as convenient to do it with the Big Brother Canada live feed. So I just tend to be mostly a show watcher with Big Brother Canada and then rely on like the live feed recappers, you know, to keep me updated on what's going on. Like Taryn Armstrong does his uh, daily live feed updates, which are just always awesome. He does such an incredible job with that and keeps us all updated on the happenings. So that's really me. I mean, with Big Brother US, I'm glued to the live feeds unless it's just an intolerable season and I just can't deal with watching <laughs> like a cast anymore and I just completely tune out on it. But uh, Big Brother Canada, I tend to just watch the episodes and then let everybody, you know, the live feed recappers uh, do their thing, RHAP and all them, you know, watch them and all their recap shows and roundtables and all that good stuff. So, my, based on what I'm hearing this week is that the editing was kind of eh to a lot of the happenings in the house this week to where it wasn't really showing everything and not including some things that were going on, leaving some things out. So, I was really relying on a lot of the live feeders to uh, to keep keep things going. So my recap is going to be, I'm going to recap and just talk about all the three episodes this week. And just keep in mind, my recap and my thoughts are completely based on just the show. The show version, you know, I'm going to throw in some things here and there, like stuff that I might have heard, you know, on on through the live feeds and through the recappers and everything. And I've typed up a bunch of notes. It was an absolute pain typing up my notes because Apple, I know you're absolutely obsessed with making things smaller. That is like your big obsession is you want everything small, but I really just want a keyboard that's not with the keys not coming apart. That's really all I ask. <laughs> I know this is a this is not just an issue with me. I've looked it up and others are having issues with their keyboards, with their keys, some of the random keys coming off their keyboard and not being able to fix it. So I have about five keys on my keyboard that continue to try to stick to my fingers as I type. It's really frustrating. And it was tonight as I was typing my notes, but that's another topic for another podcast. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's uh, just kind of a crazy week at a Big Brother Canada house. Of course, we go with the episodes. Start with earlier in the week to where, you know, as we left off last week, we had Julie voted out. So on the episodes, you know, we had Latoya who was pointing out that she had got her main target out last week with Julie because she had said she had said that she couldn't be trusted with information, which we saw on the show. There was a lot of that on the show to where she got information, took it straight to the group, and then of course that information spread. And even Julie was 
you know, talking to the camera at one point, like, oh, why can I not keep my mouth shut? <laughs> you know, so it was a pretty funny, uh, pretty funny thing there. And actually ended up being a lot of her downfall. You know, that was one thing that uh, did happen to uh, cause a lot of her issues in the house to where people just felt like they couldn't trust her, you know. And so with that, we had Latoya. You know, she was happy that she'd gotten her target out. We also saw before last week's eviction, we got the footage of Josh being thrown under the bus by Julie in front of the group. So this was another issue for Josh to because Josh had been talking in the DR about how he had just been feeling isolated in the game. Like he just didn't feel like he felt he didn't feel like he fit in with any of the group in the house. So now with this you know, with Julie putting all that out there, that really intensified this to where now spotlight's on him now to where he doesn't really kind of know what to do now. So we get to our first HOH competition. The competition was that you had to balance these balls on like a bow and arrow style contraption. And then as the competition goes along, as it gets longer, more balls will be added to where you've got to balance them and not let them fall off. So... Competition goes for a while. It comes down to Austin and LaToya, and this turns into the deal that we see often in Big Brother where you have two people left and neither one of them wants to drop and they want to win and they're telling the other, you're safe, just drop. I've got you, you're safe. So Austin, LaToya is saying the same thing, like, Austin, just drop, you're safe with me, you're good. And then she's saying the same thing back. And then both of them continue to compete because neither <laughs> wants to... Neither wants to drop and lose. And that's what happens with a lot of, uh, you know, Big Brother US and Canada. You'll see that a lot of times in these HOH competitions, veto, you know, stuff like that. So Latoya ends up losing. She ends up, balls fall off the bow and arrow. And that leaves Austin as the first HOH of the season. That keeps her team of Team Destiny safe for the week. Once again, this will be their second week in a row for safety is if anybody wins on that team, whoever wins HOH gets safety for you know the rest of their team. They can't even be put up for nomination. So that leaves Kiefer on the other side, you know, who was the captain on the other side. He was feeling very bad about this and the chances of him going on a block. He was very nervous and paranoid about this. So from here, we had a deal where Big Brother called Austin up saying they were about to present the house with a difficult decision. She calls up both captains and hands out two envelopes and reveals that you have a food dilemma. The food dilemma is each team had to decide which card to pick with a steal or share. If you pick share, everyone stays on PB&J for the week. If a team selected steal, that team would get a luxurious meal. So basically the way it is, is you want to, the, the winning position for probably both sides is if both teams picked share, then they all just end up on PB&J for the week, you know, to where nobody, nobody gets punished, nobody goes on slop for the week. So each team had to pick a negotiator, which basically turned into like a, like a strategy session, you know, to where... It's like you're not trying to reveal your cards on what your team's actually thinking about doing on what card you end up with. So, I mean, it was some just some filler time here TV-wise with the episode. Both teams pick share. Both teams are on PB&J for the week. Both teams were happy. You know, everybody was fine food-wise. So, that was how that played out. Then we get to... The Wendy's segment for the week. Now, if you aren't familiar with this, Wendy's is a sponsor of Big Brother Canada. This started back when uh, the year when Big Brother was not going to come back, you know, and then there was a big push to get it back. And it was clear that one of the things that they did to bring Big Brother Canada back was sponsorship inside the show. There was clearly that going on. Wendy's, all of a sudden, there's a Wendy's segment every week, and that's continued ever since. And you know what I said? It was like, you know what? If that's what it takes to keep Big Brother Canada going, or we've got to have some sponsorships on this show very much in our face, I will take it very happily. We'll just keep this show going. So the deal is with Wendy's, 
every week there's a Wendy's window set up in the house to where it looks like a little mini Wendy's restaurant like you'd see in a mall or something, you know. So the HOH every week gets to gets to decide what they want for a Wendy's meal every week, and then they get to pick a house guest on who they want to share it with. So in the past, we would have, you know, like a real person at the window that they'd go up there to the window and they'd give them their meal, you know. And a lot of times it would be, you know, a former Big Brother Canada house guest or sometimes it was a family member. I believe they had a family member uh, once or a few more times than that. I don't know. But of course, COVID restrictions this year. Now it's just straight up like they open a window and... It just mechanically rolls out with some bags, but a screen rolls out and they get a video from home, which I thought was very cool. That was a very, very cool thing. So if you can't do what the normal way you do with the Wendy stuff, cool that they get something from home, you know, as kind of an extra reward. So very, very cool. So Austin picks Victoria to go with her to this. So that's what ends up happening there. So we get the reveal of a crush going on between Beth and Ty. Now, this will continue to play out more this week, including adding another person to this mix. So that was, when I saw that in the episode, I'd already been hearing about it on the live feed recaps, where I thought, okay, well, here's some foreshadowing, and here's a setup of what we're going to see clearly some more of this week. So Josh goes to Austin to pitch ideas for nominations. He pitched, he pitched Rohan. But he also pitched Kiefer. Now, Kiefer did go up to talk to Austin, and Kiefer pitched Rohan and Josh for his nominations. But the nominations end up being a little bit of a combo here. Ends up being Josh and Kiefer on the block. Austin's reasoning being that Josh, he's going up because of the chaos of last week. And Kiefer going up basically with her saying, hey, this is the first time we've even talked game. Uh... Since I got in power, now you're suddenly talking game with me. It's kind of the typical HOH speech that you hear. A lot of times that happens to where you'll have somebody that hasn't talked game at all. And, you know, and then suddenly they're forced to have to talk game, you know, because they don't want to go up on the block. So that's what happened to Kiefer here. So with the next episode starting, we get to the veto episode. We finally get the reveal of the Sunsetters Alliance. Now, this has been talked about. It was not shown on the other episode, but the Sunsetters has been a thing for a while. The Alliance is Tina, Latoya, Kiefer, Beth, and Ty. And Kiefer was the one that came up with the name, and the reason for the name is that basically we're called the Sunsetters because we're going to keep voting these people out and sending them off into the sunset. You know, consider I thought it was I thought it was good. You know, I like the name, I like the reasoning, and let's be real, we've had some really bad alliance names in Big Brother, whether it's US or Canada. So anytime we get one that's pretty decent, I'm all for it because we've had some really bad ones. So we get to the veto. Veto players are picked. Um, of course, we got the two nominees of Kiefer and Josh that will be playing. Of course, they pick out names. Uh, Victoria gets picked. Tara gets picked. And Josh pulls out house guest choice, and he ends up picking Tina. Um, Austin reveals that the HOH is not going to play once again in the veto comps this season, which I like. I, I really do... I like that twist of not allowing the the HOH to compete in the veto comps because I feel like it adds more to like they're not being landslide kind of weeks because that tends to happen a lot where you'll get you know a dominant HOH or something and they just win HOH and they win veto and like there's no chance of anything changing and causing any kind of drama. So that gets kind of frustrating. So I, I do like this twist that they are not going to allow the HOH to play in the veto competitions. So back in the house, outside of the out of the veto player pick here, we have Roe going up to Tara, and he's telling her that he has this feeling that he's going to be the replacement nomination. And he's really telling her, hey, you really need to go for veto because I do not feel safe here. So Tara's all for it. Like, I'm going to, all right, I'm going to go for it. 
So from here, we start hearing this laughing suddenly in the house that sounded like a fun house or something. And everybody starts saying, is that the have not room? Is the have not room open? I had not seen the have not room until this reveal in the episode. I don't know how I have not uh, seen this yet because I don't know how that's missed me on Twitter uh, the live feed stuff. I don't know. I don't know how I have not heard that they have done a fun house. So the have not room, which if you're if you're not familiar with Big Brother Canada or Big Brother in general, the have not room is basically like the punishment room for the week where if you if you lose like power for the week or if you're if you don't uh, if you don't get your food, if you have food restrictions or anything like that, that's the way it is in the U.S. especially to where, you know, you'll pick out players that are going to be punished for the week where they have to sleep in this miserable room for a week or they don't get real food for a week. So this is basically Big Brother Canada's version. They have a ball pit set up as the have-not room. It was pretty incredible to watch. And it was a pretty fun segment too because... We had, there was a lot of excitement for the most part where everybody was jumping around in the ball pit and having fun. And Victoria is just eating this up. She could not love this ball pit more. She is jumping around in it and she even, they cut to her in the DR and she's doing like this little motion where it's like a dive, you know. And then they do this hilarious cut to LaToya who has this look on her face of that she just saw the worst thing she had ever seen in her life. And it was hilarious. She was not having this ball pit. And her face was great. And just the edit of Victoria's reaction to LaToya's, hilarious. Very well done by the editors of Big Brother Canada. That was very fun. Thought that was hilarious. So... After this, we move to the veto competition, which is the BB Can Farmer's Market. Now, the task here is to load apples onto your wheelbarrow, and you're going to carry as many apples as you can across the course. So, in that 30-minute time period, you can load up as many apples as you want. Now, if they fall off, you've got to load them back up. So you've got to be strategic on how many apples you want to load up. How many do you load to where you feel safe? Because anytime in that 30 minutes, if you feel like you've got enough apples on there and you don't think anybody else can load up that many and balance them on that wheelbarrow, you can hit the button and lock your time or lock your number of apples. So it's just up to you on what you want to do. So what ends up happening, Kiefer gets, you know, he gets later in the in the challenge and in, in the clock time. He roams over has a good number of apples on there, locks his time, and there's a big eruption of cheers to where Josh is like, oh, okay, I clearly know that people are rooting against me here. <laughs> so he's he's clearly knowing what's going on. So Josh, Josh had a really interesting strategy to start this thing off. It was pretty funny where he was just analyzing this thing and everybody on the side is like, what is Josh doing? And I was doing this watching. Like, what is he doing? It's like, you got to get in gear, get something going here. And he was doing just like this big analysis of like how he's going to make these apples work. And you know what? It almost worked because at the very end, he is coming across with just a monster amount of apples. And of course, he's running out of time. He's like under 10 seconds, and he's trying to get his wheelbarrow across this course. And with about one second to go, he hits his button and locks himself in. So what ends up, we get the results. Tara was in fifth place. She had 17 apples. Victoria was fourth with 20. Then we had a tie for second between Josh and Tina, which they didn't feel the need to give us a number for some reason on how many apples they had. I don't know why they left that out. That was kind of bizarre. Like, I'd kind of like to know how close they were, you know, but we didn't get anything, but we did get the winner was Kiefer with 31 apples. He is your veto winner. Of course, he's on the block, so that means he is going to take himself off the block. So from here, Josh is looking to stir some chaos. Tara pitched to Austin about Jed going up as a replacement to try and save Roe from nomination. The POV ceremony takes place. Kiefer, of course, takes himself off the block. The replacement is indeed Roe. 
who Austin makes clear during her speech that he is the pawn. So it is clear in front of everyone who her target is that she wants Josh to go home. And it should be pointed out, everybody on the feeds has talked about just how Josh has really just been exiled through the whole week to where, you know, he goes in a room and people are annoyed when he comes in a room and people are just cold shouldering him. And there's been a lot of discussion on Twitter and just live feeds in general, just about the treatment of Josh this week, about just how bad it's really been. So that gets us to tonight's eviction episode. Uh, There was a lot of chaos in the live feeds last couple days where the vote kept trying to flip. And at one point this morning, there was a lot of talk this morning that it looked like Josh was going to be safe. And so we're watching this tonight to see if this vote flip was going to happen. And with Roe being a pawn, it goes back to Big Brother 101, is that a lot of times the pawn goes home. And there's a lot of times that mostly the pawn goes home. That's why in Big Brother you never want to be a pawn. Because that thing can always change. In that house, things can always change and flip against you in a quick amount of time. And it was looking like it was going to turn against Roe here and that he was going to be the one going home. So with all the craziness of the last couple of days, I did laugh at the fact that we, you know, there's so much to fit in this episode. We had like a house meeting that was going to happen, vote flip, showmances, and we got a minute of Victoria losing her shoe in the ball pit for a comedy segment. And I'm like, really? Like, of all the things that have happened where I'm sure the editors are just, like, losing their mind trying to fit all this stuff in. I was like, really? We have a comedy segment here? So that was kind of funny. So, and frustrating a little bit, too. Funny and frustrating. So we here we get the second part of the flirt mance going on with Beth to where there's a game of Never Have I Ever that was going on in the hot tub. And we get Jed doing a surprise kiss on Beth to where there was a flirt mance going on there. Now, the talk on the feeds this week has been that Beth has been having a flirt mance with two people. You know, I mentioned Ty earlier. That was the one. Now, she did say in the DR, and she admitted that she has been flirting with both guys, but she did say that of the two, Ty, Ty's her guy. That's, that's who she's into. So, from here, we get some past house guests showing up on the TV where they're like a surprise thing in there where they're giving Big Brother advice you know to some of them including like we had cindy with an s we had sarah anthony adam mitch from season four which blew my mind when they said he was season four and i just thought my goodness has it been that long since mitch has been in that house it was that season that long ago that was quite a reality check for how fast these big brother canada seasons have gone So here we get some dissension in the Sunsetters Alliance, and that is something that's really been talked about in the last couple of days, is that there's some cracks in that alliance to where people are wanting to do different things than the rest of the alliance is wanting to do. And we get a debate shown here to where they're not knowing what to do with the vote. And suddenly they have a sudden decision that they're going to flip the vote, they're going to save Josh, and they're going to vote out Roe. Now... LaToya walks away from this conversation. She's not happy. She is not happy about this call, and she talks to Tina about it. Tina's not happy about it either because she felt like the group just kind of dictated the decision, that they didn't really care what, you know, especially her, they didn't really care what she had to say on it. It just felt like it was, okay, this is the decision as a group we're going to make. We're going to do this. And Tina said that she realized at that point that of the six people, she feels like she's on the bottom of that six-person alliance now, and it's something that she's going to have to keep uh, keep an eye on. So let's get back to Josh. So Josh is trying to stir up more chaos, and he is going to Jed, and he's going to try to get in his head a bit and talk to him about the Pretty Boys 2.0 comment from last week with Austin. And he's also going to get in his head about that Jed's name has been brought up as a nomination option this week by Austin and others. So Jed calls a house meeting. And if you know anything about Big Brother, 
house meetings never go well. They never go well. I still remember the Jeff and Jordan house meeting that got called in uh, BB-13. I still remember that one where it seemed like nothing good come of that. But anytime like, there's a house meeting, it never goes well and it often backfires on you. So, of course, Jed, he's wanting to call this house meeting to where he's wanting to call out and figure out, have any of you been calling my name out? So... That's what he ends up doing. Of course, it ends up really, Josh just really gets dug deeper into a hole here. It just looks even worse for Josh. Now, we get to the next day. We get Josh in the DR, and he's like, okay, well, you know what? I accomplished my goal yesterday of causing chaos. Today, I make my pitch. So what he does with his pitch is that he goes to the six people that he felt like he needed votes from, that he could get votes from, and he made a pitch of a deal to them on what to do to try to save him in this game. And the pitch goes well. The, the group in there, especially, especially LaToya, that was kind of a tongue twister, LaToya is like, you know, that's a pretty good pitch. <laughs> She's like, that's something I may have to think about. That was actually, that was well done on his part. I'm going to have to think about this. So from here we get to the eviction vote. And again, you know, this was an episode we were all pretty excited about tonight because it really looked like there was drama going down to the wire here. And no drama. Josh voted out 10-0. Unanimous vote sending Josh home. So really shocked by that. Just based on everything I was hearing, it just kind of felt like there was going to be at least some drama. And it was going to be some back and forth. But I guess, you know, sometime today or whatever, they must have just came to the decision of, okay, let's just stick to the original plan and vote out Josh. So maybe we'll get some more of that on Monday's episode. So after the eviction, we get Arissa revealing that the teams are done. No more teams. Everyone's playing an individual game now, which is good news. I'm happy to hear that. We get a HOH competition, which is knockout style, which is basically meaning you have two people competing against each other, answering a question. When one gets it right, they pick the next two to come up and compete, and so on and so on and so on. A lot of times when these knockout competitions happen like this, this is when alliances get exposed and targets get exposed to where it's like, who are you trying to eliminate? You know, do you have, because if you're up there and you pick two people, a lot of times you'll pick two people that you're not aligned with to get them to come up and one of them's going to be gone. You know, that's what ends up happening a lot of times and that ends up exposing a lot of uh, alliances. So... We get halfway through this and Big Brother Canada does what they do and we don't see the finish of the HOH competition because they want people to wait and find out on Monday who wins. This is a really annoying thing that Big Brother Canada has been doing for a while and it does not work. It's because it eliminates all drama. It's because most people, I'm not going to say most people, a lot of people are very aware that, you know, they're live feeders, they get their news wherever. And then with social media the way it is, um, people are going to find out. So instead of us having some drama of, hey, here's here's something we can see, we're going to see how the drama of this HOH competition plays out, you stop it halfway through, and then here in about an hour, we're going to get the results online from the feeds, and we're going to know who the HOH is. And then we're not even going to see any drama. It's just going to be like, oh, there's the name of who won. We don't know how, but they won. So it's, I guess they do it for ratings to try to get people to tune in for the Monday episode. Like, oh, tune in and find out who won. But it just, to me, it stops all the drama on the excitement of it to where you're watching this competition. Instead, it takes you completely out of the competition then by the time you see it on Monday, you know who wins and you don't even care about how this plays out. You know, it's it's something I really wish they would quit doing. Big Brother US did this a little bit lately. And I thought, really, of all the things that you're going to take from Big Brother Canada, which is awesome, 
of all the awesome things that Big Brother Canada has, that's one of the things you're going to take and try to bring that down here, <laughs> you know? It's like, let's not do that, please. So, it's, uh, I don't know, it's frustrating. So, we do have an HOH. I'm going to call spoiler here. Spoiler, spoiler. If you do not want to know who is your HOH, for this coming week of Big Brother Canada. Now is the time to bail out. This is the last thing on the podcast. So if you're tuning out, thank you so much for listening. Now I'm going to tell who the HOH is for the week. So spoiler, spoiler. Victoria is your HOH. She was the winner of the knockout competition. So that is what popped up on Twitter earlier and through the live feeds so she is going to be an interesting hoh i feel like because she's a bundle of energy she's fun she is fun on these episodes i've really enjoyed watching her so i'm curious of course i've heard the analysis already you know of how people feel like she'll nominate which way she'll kind of kind of slide on what she does so I'm not in any of that. I don't know. I haven't really had time to look into that because I've been working on the podcast tonight. But yeah, Victoria is your HOH spoiler for week of the coming week of Big Brother Canada. That is it for this week's podcast. Take care. God bless. Thank you so much as always for listening. And I hope you have a great day.